Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We'll be in verse 7 and also verse 12 this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 1. It's good to be back. Last Sunday, I got to be with my family. I got to baptize my grandson last Sunday, and it was quite an experience to be able to do that. And uh, it was just amazing to watch. I, I was glad I was there, not just because I got to baptize him, but I got to visit with his Sunday school class, and I got to uh, visit with his Sunday school teacher, and I found out some fascinating things. My, uh, my grandson uh, is head of my daughter, my uh, call her my daughter, it's my granddaughter. Observation was he's lived in darkness for a long time. Everything about him was dark, his humor, everything else. Well, his Sunday school class of fifth grade boys two years ago, when he was missed a Sunday, got together and said, we're going to pray for our Tim. He is lost. He is not a Christian. And we're going to pray for him. And literally, one of the boys prayed for him every single night since then. His dad came up to me Sunday morning. His dad's kind of the one of the security guys at the church there at Cross Church. And he told me that story. And he said, when you were up in the baptistry, did you see all the junior high boys right in the front? I said, I did. That wasn't normal. He said, they were all there to celebrate their prayers being answered and our Tim coming to Christ. And my granddaughter said, what happened to him? I said, what do you mean? We were at a football game this weekend. What happened to him? I said, well, he accepted Christ. But yeah, but something's different. He's in light. And I don't know what's going on. I said, I don't know, but God's doing a work. Let's just keep praying. So, you know, I'm, I'm around a bunch, but I'm gone on Sundays. I'm not where I see all of that all the time. So it was just a great experience. But I'll tell you also, I've, I've learned something this week. When you're a retired pastor, you still get to do that, so you get the joy of that. But there's a difficulty, too. And I've lost several friends this week who, who have passed away in San Antonio that were in my church the entire 30 years. I'm sitting in my chair the other day, and Jan said, what's wrong with you? And I said, I can't be there. I, I can pray, but I was always there. These are my buddies. When I taught at the seminary, I used to tell the young men, I said, you know, when you go to a church and you get started and you preach a funeral, which is your part of your responsibility as a pastor, it's a job. It's a requirement. You have to do it. And it's not hard to do. It's not easy to do, but it's not hard to do. But the longer you stay, the harder the funerals become. Because you know, you're no longer burying church members. You're burying your friends. And you're burying the, these special relationships that you had. So this week, I, you know, I'd be texting, phone calling more than I did when I sit in my office, just telling people I'm praying for you, what can I do? But, boy, the distance of 300 miles makes it tough. And I told Jan, I didn't realize when we moved off that I would miss as much as I do. But anyway, that's just some of the experiences of a retired pastor. And then I lost my first high school football game Friday night, so that didn't help either. And I want to use the opening up for a minute and then get into our sermon. We were ahead 12 to nothing and lost 57 to 12. And it was just total meltdown, one of the worst performances we probably have ever had in Thesa history, and then being state champs last year and then getting slaughtered. That really fits what I want to do today. Because what Paul's dealing with is with, the, with uh, Timothy is, son, you're in a very difficult situation, and it is not easy. 
And young man, you're going to be handling some very difficult situations as pastor of Ephesus. And so he's going to guess what he's doing in this letter. It's giving him, this is more of a, to a pastor, but yet we all need this. And I, I'll say it now and I'll say it again a little bit later. You sang a moment ago. I sat down and rewrote this. But you sang a moment ago, even when I don't see you working, you're working. The problem is a lot of times when we don't see you working, talking to the Father, then we think you're not working. And so what we want to see today is what has God given us that will give us the strength and the ability to be the kind of men and women he's called us to be. And there are three gifts he has given us that will give you the ability that no matter what happens in life, you don't do like my boys did on Friday night, have a complete and total meltdown when life doesn't go the way you want it to. So stand with me. I'm going to read verse 7. You know it. You've read it many times. And we'll jump to verse 12 and look at it also, which is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. But here's what verse 7 says. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity. Put in parentheses, the word is translated coward. That's really what this word means. Cowardice. But he has given us power, love. Mine says discipline could be translated sound judgment. Jump to 12. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed. I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced, I am persuaded, I know that he is able to take care of that which I've entrusted to him. One of the most powerful statements ever is that verse 12. And we'll try to tie all that together today. Father, speak to us in a clear way today. Help us to understand how you have blessed us, what you have given to us, so that we can live and give testimony of the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and we can demonstrate it how we live, how we respond to all that we face in our lives. Help us to learn, as Paul was teaching Timothy, may we learn these lessons and help us to be the kind of men and women you've called us to be. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So if I go to that verse 7 and look at it immediately, one of the great dangers that all of us face today is a spirit of timidity. You know, fear is an interesting uh, part of our lives. We will all face it at one time or the other. We all go through those moments when life gets very difficult and there are things that begin to frighten us and to scare us. And, and the trouble is that for some times in life, fear can lead to paralysis. 21 years ago, whenever the doctor looked at my wife and said, and we were not expecting what he was about to say, says, you have kidney cancer. I need to get you in surgery as fast as possible. When you drive home from that, the fear goes up. It's real. It is unbelievably difficult when you hear those kind of things. What do we do? And all you want to do is go crawl in a corner and hide. When the doctor came out and told me when my son was in an accident that he was going to be brain damaged, he would go blind, and he might not even live after the accident, what happens? Fear hits you in an unbelievable difficult way. You got your own stories. We've all had moments where that fear comes up. The problem is that sometimes it leads to paralysis. It causes us to want to hide. It wants us, causes us to want to stop. Fear can do other things. 
Jesus at one time is speaking in John 3, and he says, you know what? Everyone who does evil hates light and doesn't come to the light because they have a fear that their deeds will be exposed. Sometimes we're afraid that people might find out what's really wrong within our lives. It's a different fear, but it's a very real fear. In fact, one of the most difficult things maybe to do is when you've had probably the worst week of your life and you have not handled life well or you're guilty of some secret sin of some kind and it comes around Sunday morning, probably the last place in the world you ever want to be is here. Where's the best place you can be? Here. Get back in the light. Get out of the darkness, get back in the light. But the fear sometimes makes us... It's not working. I can't do it. I don't want to be around anybody. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to do any of those kind of things. Fear has a paralysis that way. Fear can be another way. In John 7, the people would not speak openly about Jesus Christ because they were fearful of what the others who would hear it would do to them. This is when Jesus' popularity is going up dramatically. And to say, look at this. This isn't amazing. Who is this man? What is he doing? People were too afraid to say anything. There's a fear that shuts our mouths sometimes. All these things, and I could come up with four or five other ways in which to show that fear can paralyze our lives. It can paralyze us when we get bad news. It can paralyze us when we're messing up. We don't want to be around anybody. And it can shut our mouths so we don't speak truthfully or right about what ought to be going on in life. And the critical part that you and I need to realize is that how you get through the fear is important. You just can't push the fear away. You just can't absolve it and it'll be gone. I wish you could sometimes, but you can't. I've come to realize faith in the Lord, in his promises, what it does is it helps you to act in spite of the fear. You act in spite of the fear, and that's important. When Paul was preaching to Corinth, guys, you and I sometimes don't realize how tough these jobs were for these men back in that day. To preach in the kind of environment they were preaching in is not like what we've got to preach in in America. And if America keeps going the way it is, we may experience some of this in our churches and everything else. But in Paul's day, to be able to speak, I mean, how many times does this man get beat up? Have any of you ever been physically beat up at church? Uh, Don't raise your hand. But I really never had anybody raise their hand because we don't. Paul got beat up times without numbers. Times without numbers. I can't even fathom that. And when people would beat him up, it'd be like some of you, if you follow, do any ministry in the Middle East or over in India, you know that what the believers go through is unbelievably difficult. And they suffer literally physically beatings at times. You even have some in your congregation have been through some of these kind of dangers. And they have faced this. It's real. And yet Paul would get back up and keep going. And so what we would do is say, oh, Paul, this is some kind of Superman here. I mean, this is like a, one of the heroes out of the Marvel comics. He can get up and do all this stuff with all the threats and everything else around him. But what you and I do not realize a lot of times, he's no different than the rest of us. And so he'll tell the church at Corinth, listen, I was with you in much fear and in much trembling. He was scared. It was not easy to get up in front of a group and to speak. His stomach would have been churning. It was not easy at all. But yet, faith did what? Made him keep getting back up, keep living right, keep speaking truth, keep moving forward. And when you look at his life and he gets to the end of 2 Timothy, what is he going to tell Timothy? I did it. I fought a good fight. I finished the course. 
And the last one's the most important of all. I kept the faith. And so when he's writing Timothy, he says, young man, I need you to know something. I can't have you be a coward. I can't have you pull back and be quiet. We're prone to that. Young man, I understand. What did he tell him in the first letter? I need you to take a little what for your stomach? Wine. So we know they're not Baptists. (laughs) Take wine. Why? You know what the stress level for this young man was to be able to get up and do his job? If you've never stood in these kind of positions, you sometimes don't realize it is not the easiest thing in the world to get up and to do this, especially in a position where you have to try to preach biblical sermons correctly, truthfully, and honestly as best you can. We don't always get it right by what we're trying to do. And it doesn't always work right with some people out there when we're doing that. And there are repercussions always And when you're in this job of 45 years that you have to, to face. And then you've got to get up the next Sunday and look out there again and do it and keep moving forward. It's just it's part of the job. It's what comes with it. But the, your, your stomach can be a little bit nervous. It can be a little bit difficult to be able to do all that kind of stuff. And the key is you've got a job to do. You've got to get up. You've got to live life. And so for some of you, you're not in my job, but you're facing circumstances and you get hit hard by life and you just want to pull back, pull the covers over. Don't get out of bed that morning. But you look around and you've got kids around you who need to see dad or mom get up. Keep going forward, keep moving. There can't be that spirit of cowardice in us where we just want to hide and run. It doesn't mean we won't all face it and it doesn't mean we all at times don't want to do it, but we take a deep breath See, Paul faced, Timothy faced a choice as a pastor. Here's what he told him. He's going to tell him in verse uh, 8, Young man, I do not want you to be ashamed of me. He's got to make a decision. Do I stand with Paul or I don't stand with Paul? I had to make a decision this week, very similar to that this week. One of the young men that I work with over the last five years in San Antonio, he's an Arab pastor. He started for me an Arab church. We had Arab worship uh, on Sunday evenings and afternoons at Village Parkway where Arabic was a language spoken when they would sing and they would preach. And he was doing the job. He worked for me five years. He did an amazing job. He was run out of his country in in Jordan. They almost were killed by ISIS. He and his wife and children escaped. We brought him in. We took care of him. He did me a good job. One of his former members got mad at him tried to destroy his character. We had to call everybody in and sit and listen to all the stories. And as we listened to it, I couldn't find anything wrong, no mishandling, nothing. And so we said, continue to do your job. We trust you to do it. Well, he's moved to California to start a special Arab ministry in Los Angeles. And the same guys found him and has destroyed his name in L.A. And he called me and said, Steve, can you stand with me? Would you please... Can you stand, write a letter, do what you need to? So I was on the phone all week with people who are leadership in South Texas and in L.A., and I told them, I'm, you put my name on it, I'm going to be with him. I've seen him for five years. I will stand with him. Paul looks at Timothy and said, young man, you're in a tough moment now. You've got to make a call. You're going to worry about everybody out there, or are you going to stand with me? Are you going to stand with me? So this spirit of cowardice, it's real. Sometimes you go, I don't want to mess with it. I could have said to him, I'm a retired pastor. I don't have to do this anymore. I don't have to do it. 
But with my conscience being the way it is, I can't do that. This is a guy I've seen walk with the Lord who goes through suffering with the Lord, and now he's having to do it again. I'm going to stand with him. You, you understand that. You, you, that's what Paul's calling us here. Don't let whatever this spirit of fear, timidity, cowardice creep in. Now, why? What has God given us to get through that? And there's not a one of us who's not exempt from me to any of us out there. This is not something we can just say, if everybody be just like what we are, then everything would be fine. No, we all have these moments within our lives. So Paul looks at this young man, and he writes these words. God has blessed you in three ways. He's given you three things. I could go to Galatians and do it with a different verse. In Galatians 5, around 22, it says what? For the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are gifts that have been given to everyone who confessed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is yours. Nobody can take that away from you. You say, well, he doesn't say that here. Yeah, he does. He starts out with power, love, and discipline, sound judgment, which really is an encompassing. The Spirit gives us the power to do this fruit of the Spirit. Love is what consumes most of what's in there in the first very opening. And you and I have the sound judgment to make right decisions to that, do that which needs to be done. So, let's look at what unfolds here. Power. It's the word dynamite, dunamis. You have the ability to face whatever you face in life. Our, our football team was talking that in three weeks we play May. I, I've never seen them, but I've watched video this week. They're third or fourth in the state. They're third and fourth state every year. And my grandson, he and I were watching it because he's recovering from knee surgery, and so we're sitting there watching it. He said, Pops, we're going to get destroyed. Well, after Friday night, that may be a reality. But I, the other day at practice, the head coach spoke, and he said, he turned to me and says, Coach Grandpa, you got anything to say? I said, Kids, when you look at these other teams, and you think, look how great they are. You're just as good. You have just the ability to get out there and do this. They are not superheroes on that other team. You can hit just as hard as they can. You can run just as hard. You can play as smart as you can. Don't be intimidated by what's going on. I think too often you and I are intimidated by all those around us. You know, I, I have been privileged over the years to walk among some very famous people. I could put together literally a hodgepodge of pictures of people I've got to be with, and you'd know every single name of every single person. And one thing I learned very quickly, they're not any different than the rest of us. They're famous, may have more money, may have more attention, but after watching some of that, I don't want any of the stuff they got. But one thing I learned in the midst of all of this, they're no better than the rest of us. They have nothing more. Maybe they've worked a little harder to get to where they're at. Paul wants us to know something. God has given you the power to be who you are, to face whatever you're facing in life. Don't ever sit there, I can't do it, I can't handle it. Yes, you can. Sometimes you have to go alone by yourself, but other times God will put people around you. But he's with you. Either Galatians 2.20 is correct or it's not. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith. 
There's nothing magical about any of this. It really comes down to my last point in a moment, verse 12. But do you believe that God's with you and will take care of you? I mean, that's what it comes down to. Either our God is omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, use the easier words than the hard ones. Either he's that or he's not. But you and I have come to a conviction in our heart that our God is all-powerful, all-knowing. I'm teaching Wednesday night at Cross Church on holiness. Our God is holy, holy, holy. Which simply means this, nothing in creation, nothing around anywhere even matches close to who he is and what he can do. He is set apart from all others. And you and I have the power of God given to us to be able to get up every morning, live our lives, love our kids, love our spouse, work with our neighbors, work at our church, live our lives, be a good employee, all the things. You have the ability to be able to do that. So what do you do with that? Well, Paul told Timothy, I want you to be strong in grace in chapter 2, verse 1. I want you to suffer hardship with me, chapter 2, verse 3. Chapter 2, verse 10, endure all, all things for the sake of the chosen. Verse 15, be diligent, present yourself approved to God. Chapter 4, verse 5, be sober in all things. Verse 5, endure hardships. Verse 5, work, work your, uh, do your work of evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. He has the ability to do every one of those. I quickly ran through that. But he has the ability to do what? To endure, to work, to be faithful, and to keep going. And so do you. The second thing that he gives us is this. He gives us the ability to love. You didn't love God first. He loved you first. And he has put that love of his that he has into your heart and life. He has shown you mercy and, and the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then when you do that, you'll love your neighbor as you love yourself. That love is, first of all, aims towards the Father in heaven through his Son, Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. That you can have this love and affection. And this isn't some kind of hallmark, sugary, sweet kind of love that we see on our TV sometimes. This is a steady patience, kindness, goodness. But we have this patience with our God, this kindness in how we speak. You know, the two greatest things that you and I can do in Romans 1, to walk in a manner that is pleasing to the Father is to honor Him and to give thanks. We honor Him because we love Him, and we give thanks because of all that He has done for us, and it makes our affections for Him even greater. The second thing this love does is it teaches us to have a love for ourselves. And all that means is, is, you know, I graduated high school, I was 5'4", 120. I'm six foot and weigh a lot more than that now. When you're 5'4", and 120 in high school, and you've spent your whole life wanting to be an athlete, and you're not, you don't really like who you are. And when you get out on the field, and you're trying to play, and the kids run over you, you keep trying, but you, you just don't quite have it law of physics and everything else it eats at your heart and your soul and so I kept saying God it isn't fair I wanted to be big and I looked around my dad's 5'7 my brothers are 5'7 my grandfather is 5'5 and my great-grandfather was 5'4 so I knew I was going to be a little shrimp for the rest of my life so since I couldn't be the superstar that I wanted to be in athletics I really wanted to be third base for the Astros but that wasn't happening I thought well I'll sing my brothers can sing. My brother was all state for four years in high school, tenor, 
top tenor in the state his senior year. My other brother's New York Metropolitan Opera trained, North Texas graduate. So I'm going to sing. Mom and Dad's 45th anniversary. The three of us are going to sing at our home church, First Baptist Church Orange. On Saturday after the reception for my parents' 45th, we go into the auditorium and practice. After we ran through it twice, my brother said, sit down. And on Sunday morning, they did a duet instead of a trio. Nobody's ever asked me to sing. Nobody will ever ask me to sing. So I go to the University of Texas at 18. I didn't do well because I began to beat up on who I was. I wasn't as smart. I wasn't fast. I wasn't this. I wasn't that. I understand this stuff. I didn't like what God created. I didn't like what God made me. But it's an interesting thing, guys, that when Christ comes in your life, how it changes your entire perspective. And when Christ came in my life at the age of 20, I began to realize something. I, didn't want to, I don't have to be like all the other athletes. I don't have to be able to sing. I don't have to be the smartest person in the room. I just need to be who God created me to be and learn to love what he has done in me. I am a marvelous creation just like you are. You're a marvelous creation. Go to Psalms 139 and look at how you're created, marvelously made. I believe Psalms 139. You've been marvelously created. You're formed in your mother's womb with skill and wisdom. He's given you exactly what he wants you to do. He wants you to live, fulfill, work out with fear and trembling this salvation that's been given to you. And then next, you love your neighbor. You have the ability to face anybody in life and be patient and kind with them. Your family, friends, workers, people in the city, God's given you the ability to do that. You don't have to be in fear and pull back. Our Tim would always hang in the back and not have anything to say to anybody and never laugh, never smile. Sunday at church, I just watched to see if there was any difference. He's right in the middle of everybody laughing and cutting up. I hope that lasts. I hope that is as real it looks to me. Because you and I should have this ability to, with Christ within us that we ought to have this thing about us that attracts people around us and we want to be around others. You cannot live life in isolation. I've been studying blue zones. Now that I'm 70, I don't know if you know what a blue zone is, but when you're 70, you want to see how you live to be 100. So I've been looking at all of that stuff. You know what one of the key factors in blue zone living is? Fellowship with people. That as you get older, you need that even more when you're, than when you were younger. You and I were made to be around each other. God's given us the ability. Timothy needs to hang in there. Keep with the believers there in Ephesus. Love together through all that is going on. And then the last thing that he gives us is not only the ability that we have the power to do it, we have the ability to love him, to love ourselves, and to love our neighbor, but we also have the ability to be able to, as my scripture would say, uh, it's calls it discipline, but it means the word has more to do with thinking, to be able to make right decisions under control within life. So when the emotions in life hit us, we're able not to do as my football team Friday where they lost their minds and went crazy and made horrible decisions and bad plays one after the other because they lost the ability. Their emotions controlled everything going on about them, and so we could not get that under control. We'll work on it this week, but what God's given us the ability to do is this, to be a good soldier, chapter 2, which means what? You don't entangle yourself in life, but you get everything ready to be what God's called you to be. Be a good athlete, which means you compete according to the rules. 
in Second Timothy or First Second Timothy two, which means this: you get up every day, you follow what God's asked you to do, you do it, you don't let anything sidetrack you from it. You be a good farmer. I've learned what a good farmer is living out in the panhandle for ten years. They get up early in the morning, they work hard all day long, they come in about nine o'clock, and when they do that, they produce the crops. So what God's called us to do is be focused. Keep training in our lives and work when no one's watching. And then he said this, I want you to be diligent. That's what he tells Timothy. I want you to be diligent and handle the word of God there in chapter 2. He's going to tell him later in chapter 2, I want to, the Lord's bond servant. He is going to be kind to everybody. He's not going to quarrel with anybody. He's going to be patient when he's wrong. He's going to, when, he, when he corrects somebody, he's going to do it with amazing amount of love. That's what God's people do. You and I, when our minds are working correctly and we're thinking correctly, we respond correctly. Instead of letting the, world, the life hit us so hard that it throws our minds out of focus and then we just react. Are, are we reacting the wrong way to those who come around us? So when my star football player gets hit, he loses it and he turns around and kicks the kid in the head. One of the most stupid moves afterwards, he knew it, he apologized to all the coaches, but he should have never done it. You and I, Sometimes we get frustrated because of the way somebody came at us or did something, and we respond by lashing out. No, that's not what we do. We have sound judgment. Those are gifts that God's given you. You, have, you say, well, it's not me. Yes, it's you. It's all of us. We've all been given this. I mean, that verse is very clear. We've all been given these three things, power, love, and sound judgment. And when you put that together, that makes you strong. And then that leads to verse 12. I will preach 12 in a couple weeks, but I want to point some things out as I wrap down. Look at what Paul says in verse 12. For this reason I suffer all these things. Suffer all these things. He was a prisoner. He was imprisoned as a criminal. There were evil men around him. Alexander Coppersmith did him a lot of harm. Life was tough. But Paul says, you know what, I'll take it. That's what's amazing to me about this man. I suffer all these things and don't quit. I go through these hardships and I'm still standing. Why? Because God's given me the power. God's given me a love for people. God's given me the ability to think clearly. And he's doing that. Now, what's the answer? How can a man who is not a superstar, who's not a super saint, who is not some Marvel hero, how is he able to say, when I'm being hit the hardest... I can do this. I love what he then says in verse 12. Look at it. For I know whom I have believed. Notice what he does not say. He does not say, for I know what I have believed. You need to know what you believe. But knowing what you believe, you can be the most doctrinally sound person in this room but when life gets tough it's not going to be what you know but whom you know case in point when the doctor told me that Jan had kidney cancer this was in 201 she was 47 going on 48 years of age Guys, this scared me to death. I've been a pastor now for 20-something years, so I'd walk through this with others, and now it's my, I'm in it. There came a day, i never forget, she'd called her mom, and it was just a bad day, and she's sitting there sobbing over the phone, and I've 
felt so helpless it wasn't even funny. There was nothing I could do. We were building a new home and told Jan, I need to go check on our new house. And I'm debating in my mind, if something happens here, we can't afford this house because we both worked. Uh, Maybe I I went out just to sit. Do I need to get rid of the, just pull out of the house and we'll just stay where we're at? I'm sitting there. Our our patio was about this high off the ground, maybe a little bit higher, and there, it, it was still just the concrete and the frame. And so I'm just sitting there with my legs hanging. And guys, I don't cry. It doesn't happen often. My wife says very rarely ever. It's, when I did my dad's funeral, my mom's funeral, my grandfather's funeral, everybody else was shedding a tear. I didn't. I almost felt like I was getting a little cold because it's what I did for a living. But I sat there with tears running down my face because I was scared. I was losing my little lady. That's my name for her, little lady. She's five foot tall. And it was at that moment, why, I don't know, but I just started singing quietly. And I know I don't sing, but I just started singing, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. See, it wasn't what I believed. It's whom I believed. I've written doctoral papers on Calvin's view of suffering, on Augustine's view of evil and suffering. They didn't mean a thing to me. When you're facing death, and the possibilities of life like that. All that doesn't help. All my education meant nothing at that moment. Paul, brilliant, educated by the best in the world, says it's not what I know, but whom I know. I'm here to tell you today to be the kind of men and women God called us to be. It comes down to one thing. Do you trust Jesus Christ to take care of you? I know most everybody in the room, probably 99% of you, have confessed faith that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of your life. You believe that. You hold that. But it's more than that. I grew up thinking all you had to do as a kid was walk down the aisle, shake the preacher's hand, get baptized, and you got your fire insurance policy in your home. No, you hadn't even started. You've got to live now. Jesus, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. It's now time to live. How do you live? As you have received Christ in Colossians chapter 2, verse 7, do what? So walk in it. How did you receive him? By faith. How do you walk? By faith. Paul says this, I know something. I know whom I believe. I believe in Jesus. But notice one other thing. I am convinced. It's real. Because faith is conviction of things not seen. Faith is conviction of things not seen. I am convinced. What? What is he convinced of? I am convinced that God is able to guard, to protect, to watch over, to provide for, to take care of. Who? Me. Paul says, I entrust myself to him. I entrust my entire life until the day Christ comes in all of his glory. So all Paul's telling us, here's the simple secret, the amazing wisdom of life, is this. You have to come, the only people who can enter into heaven have to come by faith and trust in Christ. They have to come to the point that they repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But now that you have done that and you have made that decision, what do you do next? I trust him every day. The one who gave me life is going to bring it to completion. 
He who began a good work in me in Philippians 1 6 is going to bring it to completion. When? At the coming of Christ Jesus. When here? I've entrusted myself until that day, which is that day, the day that he comes in all of his glory. Christianity is just simply this. Honestly and deeply, we believe this. Christ loves us. He died for us. He gave us life. He's going to take care of us. He'll watch over us. He'll provide for us. He's going to bring us safely home one day. And when he comes, we'll all join with him. and We'll be with him in eternity. And he can do the job. And he can do it well. And so I live every day. That's why Paul could, I mean, he got stoned. He got beat with rods three times. He got beat with a cat of nine tails five times, which is 195 lashes. His body was broken. That's why he had Luke with him everywhere he traveled. He needed a doctor with him to roll out of bed for him at 60. You think on some of you rolling out of bed, be at 60 and have your body broken like he did. And yet he says this, I'm not ashamed of what I've done. I'm not ashamed of whom I believe. I get up, I live my life. And he gets to the end of this letter and he's going to say what? I did it. I fought a good fight. I finished my course and I kept my faith. I don't know about you, but that's what I want to be. And I think everyone in this room who have faith in Christ, that's what we want. You have the power, you have the ability to love, and you have the ability to think clearly. Those were gifts that God's given you. Your job, trust the one who will guard and take care of you. And God will bless you in the most special of ways. Father, we thank you for this day and for the privilege and honor that you have given us to be able to study your word. We thank you for Paul's insights. We thank you as he's teaching Timothy, we can sit as students and learn. Father, there are many probably with here who struggle sometimes with this fear that can almost paralyze them about things about life. Help them take a deep breath, look to you. They have the ability to whatever they're facing in life right now to overcome. We're overcomers in Christ to get up and move forward, to be salt and light in our communities, to be able to demonstrate the presence of Christ in such a way that people will look at us and say, what is your hope? How can you do this? And we're able to say, because we trust Jesus. Watch over and guide us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.